Bibles, turn with me tonight to Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 8. Congratulations to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dwayne Nelson III. They're back with us this evening. They get extra points for being here on the day that they got married. You will lose a few points because you're in a balcony, but other than that, if I had any gold stars, I'd give you one. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, the day that God calls his own. Because of the movie Chariots of Fire, many of you may have heard the name Eric Little. In 1924, Eric Little was a participant in the Olympic Games that were being held in Paris. But when he found out he was scheduled to run his race on Sunday, he refused to compete, saying, I object to Sunday sports completely. Both in Europe and in America, he was made fun of and he was condemned by the press. But the stand of such a notable athlete produced some conviction, so in effect the race was not run until later in the week. Afterward, he testified that when he was about to run in his finals, his trainer handed him a note on which he had written the scripture, 1 Samuel 2.30, which says, And them that honor me, I will honor. And Little won the 400-meter race on that day. The truth would be the truth if he had lost the race. Would it not? This is a very important principle that's introduced in the fourth commandment. I want you to notice that God said more about the fourth commandment than any of the other nine. God uses only four words to tell man not to kill. You shall not kill. But he uses 94 words for telling man that it is necessary to keep a day of rest. That should help us to understand that the fourth commandment must be very important. It also must be noted that this commandment is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in some form in the New Testament. It is the only one that is not. The fourth commandment, more than any of the others, I believe, forces us to wrestle with what we really believe about the place of the Ten Commandments in Christian life today. It's not that simple. We live in a day in which many think that Sunday is the only day left to enjoy themselves. Therefore, in their eyes, it's okay to take Sunday and do all the things on that day that they were not able to or didn't have the time to do during the week. It has been, become acceptable to forego church and do as one pleases, sleep late, wash the car, mow the lawn, visit relatives, take a ball game, go to a movie. We seem to think very little of this command today. The question is, what are our present obligations to this commandment? Some people feel guilty about the way they spend Sundays. And when they read the words, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, they start to get really worried. Most are not too clear about what they are to remember, nor how they're to go about keeping it holy but they just know that they feel guilty. When we look at the 
fourth commandment, there are typically three groups of people, or people can be divided into three groups. The Sabbatarians, the Sabbatarians are people like the Seventh-day Adventists and the Seventh-day Baptists who believe that this commandment is just shifted over on Sunday and we are to keep Sunday as if it were a Sabbath. The second group is the extreme of the Sabbatarians who say it doesn't have any correlation. We are under no obligation whatsoever uh, regarding the fourth commandment. And then there's the third group into which most of us fall, and that is, that is those of us who don't, are not quite sure what we're supposed to be doing or not doing on the Sabbath. Uh, <clears throat> now, obviously, things have changed in our country uh, about how we feel about Sunday. Most of the young people in the congregation tonight will not remember that there were such things as blue laws. How many of you know what, a, what the blue laws were? And it's not about buying stuff that's blue. For those of us who are a bit, old, bit older, we know that the blue laws prevented stores, certain stores from being open on Sunday. And even some stores that were open, it forbid them to sell certain items on that day. Uh, it meant, for the most part, the grocery stores, department stores, even hardware stores uh, were closed on Sunday. And if you needed anything on Sunday, you had to wait until Monday to get it. You either bought it on Saturday or you waited until Monday. Uh, like it or not, Sunday observance is a fading tradition in American Christianity. The justification for overturning the blue laws was that those laws were archaic. But the real truth is, I suspect, that it was more based on the idea, if I work six days a week and I make so much money, but if I stretch it out and I work seven days a week and keep my store open a seventh day, then I will make more money. And that's a very simple problem. It's called greed. Uh, one modern company that stands out in that area is the Chick-fil-A restaurant. One of the practices of this company that sets it off from most other restaurants is that it is closed on Sunday. If you ever have been to a restaurant on Sunday, you know that it is one of the busiest days and perhaps one of the more profitable days of the week. It would seem if you plan on being profitable, then you would want to be open on Sunday. But the owner, Truett Cathy, determined that because he was a committed Christian and he made it his policy that from the very beginning no Chick-fil-A would be open on Sunday. His thought was if he couldn't make enough and do enough business on six days a week to stay open and to bring in a profit, then it wasn't God's will for them to be in business. Obviously, it has worked out very well for them. One writer put the change in our thinking about the Sabbath this way. He said, our great-grandparents called it the Holy Sabbath. Our grandparents called it the Sabbath. Our parents called it Sunday. We call it the weekend. It does show a little bit of a difference. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. Remember, there is a corresponding telling of the, second, of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you 
nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the Jews took this commandment very seriously. The observance of the Sabbath was strictly observed and strictly enforced. As the years passed by, rules and regulations were added to interpret exactly what this fourth commandment meant. I equate it to when the President of the United States comes on and he makes a broadcast and he speaks for 10 minutes and then the national news media comes in and for an hour tells us what he just said, right? The end result was that the rabbis came up with this long and entangled series of rules of things that you were not permitted to do on the Sabbath. For example, you could not rescue a drowning person on the Sabbath. One could not kindle a fire, no matter how cold you got. Untying knots that needed one hand was permitted, but if it took two hands, that's work. You can't do it. If a man's ox fell into a ditch, he could pull it out. But if a man fell in the ditch, he had to stay there. One could take a dose of vinegar... For food, but could not take a dose of vinegar as medicine for an aching tooth. If a man was bitten by a flea on the Sabbath, he had to allow it to keep on biting. Can you imagine falling into a bag of chiggers on that day? If he tried to stop the flea from biting, it was considered work. If he killed it, he was guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. Women could not use a mirror on the Sabbath lest they see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. In the Old Testament, the last day of the week, Saturday, or the Sabbath, was set aside to commemorate the finished work of creation. Now, the first day of the week, Sunday, is set aside to commemorate the finished work of redemption. Sunday is the Lord's Day in the New Testament. Five times Jesus appeared after the resurrection. Each time it was on the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit descended on those gathered believers on the first day of the week. The Lord's Supper was celebrated on the first day of the week. Paul said that we were to make our offerings on the first day of the week. John in the book of Revelation revealed that the Spirit came to him on the first day of the week. Now here is a rather stunning fact. There are absolutely no directions given in the New Testament about how a Christian should observe Sunday. None. Not one. And because the fourth commandment is the only one that is not repeated in the New Testament... Some have concluded then that we are no longer under, not only are we no longer under the restrictions of the Old Testament Sabbath, but neither are we under any 
obligation to respect the Lord's Day. I'd like to take a look at three simple things concerning this commandment. First of all, what this commandment tells us to do. According to this command, what God wants us to do is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Some people interpret keep it holy to mean that it is to be a day on which there can be absolutely no fun. For some Christians, it almost seems as if that is the defining factor. If you enjoy doing it, then you're probably not supposed to be doing it on Sunday. However, if you do not enjoy doing it, then it's probably okay for you to do it on Sunday. You may have heard the story about a pastor who woke up on Sunday morning to see that his area was covered in ice and snow. And since he lived near the canal that ran by his home and by the church, he decided to skate to church that Sunday. The church leadership saw him skate up to the church and they were very upset because they believed that what he had done was tantamount to work on Sunday. After a lengthy debate about whether or not skating to church was appropriate, one church board member came up with a way to get past this difficulty. He looked at the pastor and he said, did you enjoy it? If the answer was yes, then he was in trouble and his actions would be condemned. If, however, his answer was no, then the case would be closed and his actions would be viewed as a work of necessity. In their mind, any enjoyment on the Sabbath day showed that you were violating the Sabbath. Some of the problem is that people do not understand that the word holy means simply to set apart. The Sabbath was to be set apart or to be different from the other days of the week, set apart by the absence of work. Not because work is unholy, but because there is more to life than work. The second thing that we look at is how this command tells us to do it. Verse number 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The first principle is the principle of work. Although seldom recognized, this commandment says it is our duty to work. Some people think that work is a part of the fall, a result of the fall. Work is not a, <clears throat> a result of the fall. The labor behind the work, sweat, is what's behind, <clears throat> is a part of the curse, not work itself. In reality, the subject of this commandment is about work and leisure and their place in God's plan and keeping them in proper balance. <clears throat> Literally, the Hebrew Sabbath means rest. And keeping the Sabbath is about balancing work and rest. Even though Christians are not bound by the law, the principles of work and rest and leisure still need to be applied uh, to our lives. What is 
necessary to apply this in our lives today is to realize that we need to reclaim a biblical understanding of work. To recognize that our daily work falls into God's jurisdiction just as surely as the pastor's work does. Paul reminds believers of some very important truth when he wrote to the church at Colossae saying, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Paul is saying that we go to work for the same reason that we go to church as an act of worship. We have the really misguided notion that the only work for God that counts is that of the full-time ministry. A story I recently read about William Wilberforce kind of helps to understand this a little more clearly. Think about what would have happened had William Wilberforce, the man who is credited for almost single-handedly stopping the British slave trade. Think about what would have happened had he left politics for the ministry. In fact, when Wilberforce made a commitment to Christ, he went to John Newton to discuss whether or not he should leave Parliament and enroll in seminary. Newton, a pastor wisely reminded Wilberforce, maybe God has you there for a purpose. Because Wilberforce remained in his secular calling in the parliament, he not only became one of the strongest forces for Christ in his generation, but slavery was ended in the British Empire, largely because of his personal crusade, something that he would not have been able to do had he surrendered to the ministry. There's a principle of work. There's also the principle of worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 14, the corresponding part of this fourth commandment given there says that a Sabbath is to be kept unto the Lord. It is to be given over to God. It is to be set apart for him and for his glory. The book of Leviticus calls the Sabbath a holy convocation, meaning a time to gather for corporate worship. God not only wants us to stop working, he wants us to start worshiping. Just as our bodies need rest and our spirits need need worship. That does not mean that we cannot worship outside the church building at all. We can. But there is something especially uniquely refreshing and dynamic about coming together for worship as a body. We are not to neglect this time of corporate worship. The writer of Hebrews commands not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There are many emergencies and other situations that can cause us to miss the gathering of the church, but those should be exceptions not the rule. I always like Billy Graham's quotation on that. 
Billy said, Jesus spoke about the ox in the ditch on the Sabbath. But if your ox gets in the ditch on every Sabbath, then you should either get rid of the ox or fill the ditch. Remember that God has designed one day in seven as a day of rest and a day of worship. We need to make a commitment, and I think I'm speaking to the faithful here tonight in doing so, that Sunday is God's gift to the church. Since it is a gift, it is up to us. The choice is ours. We can receive it or we can reject it. The third and final thing tonight is why this command says that we are to do it. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. So the text tells us in verse 11, the principle of the Sabbath is rooted in creation. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day, and so must we. In his conflict with the Pharisees, as we've seen over the preceding weeks about the Sabbath, Jesus made some points, and one of them is recorded in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. There Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was God's gracious provision for the weakness of man. God gave the example of a Sabbath rest when on the seventh day of creation, God rested. Does that mean that the God who created the universe was tired and had to rest? No, of course not. The psalmist promises, he who keeps you shall not slumber. Neither shall he slumber nor sleep. God was not tired. God gave man the Sabbath because he knows the weakness of man. King David wrote in Psalm 23, and you know the psalm, but think about the second part of verse, or the first part of verse 2. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And what's the second line? He makes me to lie down. You can follow God's instructions, or God can put you in a hospital bed where you can do nothing but look up. And if you don't take care of yourself, that's where it will be. Because God has said you've been designed to take the time once out of every seven days to rest. One commentator explains the principle of this illustration. Dr. Robert Rayburn once told the story of a man who was approached by a beggar in the street. The man reached into his pocket to see what he had. Finding $7 and feeling somewhat sorry for the beggar, he held out the six bills and he said, here you go. Not only did the beggar take the six dollars, 
But with his other hand, he struck his benefactor across the face and grabbed the seventh dollar as well. What do you think about that man? Don't you think that he was a scoundrel? Then what do you think of a sinner who is saved by grace, who insists on taking seven days a week or even six and a half for himself? One last uh, application. One of the greatest needs of some individuals is to find rest in Christ. The important issue of the Sabbath rest in the New Testament is that rest we find in Christ and from our labors. And there's a spiritual application. From our labors, which include all efforts to be saved by works. Rest in Christ. We're told to rest in the work that God has already accomplished. Stuart Briscoe offers this way to recapture a truthful celebration of Sunday. A way to view every Sunday is a gift from God. And one day, one way of doing that is to begin every Sunday with this prayer, and I think it's a good one. Lord, I'm going to take this Sunday as a gift from you, and I'm going to use it responsibly. So help me to use this day so that at the end of the day, I will feel happy presenting it to you and saying, Lord, this was your day, and this is what I did with it. Let's pray. Father, we look for application in our lives of the principles of your word. They're not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we have to dig. Sometimes we really have to look at how it applies to our specific situation. But we do want to honor you with our lives. We we do want to follow the instructions of your word. And we do want to live successfully for you in this life. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us as we go into each Sunday that we might truly begin to see it as a gift from you, a gift that you've given us to use as we choose, but a gift that we would like to, at the end of the day, realize that we have done honorably and that we've done that which we can happily present into your hands as having been used for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Brother Dan's going to be here perhaps.